0: This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. So good to see all your smiling, beautiful faces. Um, You know, it is, like Dave said, it's um, great when you can go away, and this is really the first family vacation that our family took since um, COVID. Oh, you don't like this microphone for me? It's okay. Oh. We forgot. Hello? Hi. The junior highs, you may be released at this time. Okay. See, so this is what happens when you go on two weeks Junior vacation. highs. If you're a junior high in this room, stand up to your feet. Out those doors, upstairs. Some of them are already getting timbits they, and eating already for the rest of you. I forgot to make that announcement. That's what happens when you go on vacation. If I don't make sense today, we can just blame it on Dave coming up here, wrecking my sermon opener. It was going to be amazing. Now, um, we are, uh, there is something amazing about being able to have a little bit of a break, but you know what's so awesome? When you're connected to community, what's even better is coming home. Uh, I was, we were on the plane, and I was, I said to Dave, I'm so happy to be coming home. And a lot of that has to do with you, our church community. I was, um, and I, I just think, you know, this is the power of being connected in community, though. If you, you, listen, if you go away on vacation, you come home and think this terrible place where I live, I hate it and all the people. I want to encourage you to, you know, maybe 52 weeks of the year, maybe two weeks out of 50, you're vacationing. Great, praise God. Maybe you get four weeks at your job. But if we are only living for vacation, there's problems, right? (laughs) If we don't actually learn to love where we are and get rooted and planted, then like we live this really weird existence where like, 48 weeks of the year are the worst, and only four are okay. Um, okay, that's for free. We're starting a new series on the Book of Acts this, uh, this week, and I have actually, I've been a pastor for 25 years, and I've never preached through the Book of Acts before. I preached in chapters of it, but I've never preached it expositionally, so this is either going to be a really great experiment or a long one. Um, what I am excited about, though, is that the Book of Acts teaches us the point of us being together, the point of us actually gathering like this every week. And I'm praying that it's gonna challenge you and encourage you. I don't know what you think about when you hear the word church, um, but it's probably a really good bit different than what the first century thought about when they thought about church. The church at at its inception was essentially a movement and it was a movement built around the conviction that Jesus had died as the only savior for sinners and that he had risen from the dead, proving he was who he said he was and that he was the rightful Lord of the earth. And all people everywhere were now commanded to repent and follow him. In the Greek uh, New Testament, the word translated church is the word ecclesia. And it literally means an assembly gathered around an idea, an assembly gathered around an idea. In fact, if you break the word ecclesia down, it comes from ek, which means out of, and "kalliō," which means called out. So it essentially means an assembly of people who are called out and around an idea. Now, this is very different uh, than what most of us think about when we think about church. Over the years, um, A difficult thing happened. Uh, People began to think of a church as a place you went to for religious services. And this has a lot to do with language. Um, Our English word church actually comes not from the Greek word ecclesia, but from the German word. And if you're German, I'm sorry, I'm gonna butcher this. I meant to look it up, but I didn't. Kirsch, is anybody German? I miss Gifty. She used to be my German translator, and where is she? Um, uh, it, and, and the word kirsch meant a sacred place where you gather for religious services. Do you, do you see the subtle thing that happened? Can I get some house lights, by the way, please? Uh, the subtle thing that happened here, we changed from a gathering around an idea to a, um, a gathering for religious services, a people called out versus a people coming to an idea, and the shift This shift in thinking changed the fundamental way people related to church. Throughout the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages, people went to church. It was a place you attended or an event you sat through rather than a movement you were part of. It became something that you did to get a religious golden star from God. And so the church became an institution that essentially provided services for people and was controlled by powerful people who used it to serve their own interests. But thank God, God is always on the move. He doesn't let our foolishness continue. And he raised up a bunch of reformers. Uh, William Tyndale was one of these people who was raised up. And Tyndale came to the conviction that Christianity was essentially a movement And that if people were going to be devoted to the movement, that they had to understand the message. So his life's work was to present the first translation of the Bible. And every time he came to the word ecclesia in the scripture, he uh, translated it congregation. Because what he wanted people to understand is that the church was not a place you came to. It was about the people of God. And Tyndale was uh, eventually killed, burned at the stake for his beliefs, but on his dying breaths, he said, my prayer is that every person would one day from the farmer's field to the king's court would have a translation of the Bible. And if you've ever read the King James Version, you will know that that was the fulfillment of that prayer he prayed. The church is an assembly built around a movement and the danger of the church in every age is to cease being a movement and To become instead a ministry that provides services to people, or even worse, a place people just attend. Movements move, and if you're part of a movement, then you're moving. This is the call of God to all of us, and this is the call in the Book of Acts. The question we begin before we look at the before we look at the text is this: Are we a church just doing ministry? Running an institution, or are we a movement? For you, is this a place you just attend, or is it a movement that you are personally part of? Okay, so let's look at the scriptures. Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, 6 through 8 says this Jesus uh, re- had resurrected from the dead, and he gathered all his disciples together on a hillside. And in verse 6, it says this, and they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, they were asking, what's your next move? Okay, so you know, like Jesus, if he, he died, he rose from the dead, now, now he's back hanging out with you and you're oppressed, living as an oppressed people under the Roman Empire. Like, if you're, if I'm a disciple, I'm thinking this is where you take them all down. This is where you slaughter everybody and we get free. And he said to them, it is not for you, to, Jesus going back to always the way he talked in riddles, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that my father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. The, the word witnesses here was a term used in court where you testify about what you've seen. A witness's job by the way, is not really to do anything except tell the truth. If, if you're called to be a witness in a murder investigation, you're not called to do, you, like the, the DA is not asking you, go home and get into a sweat, like roll your sleeves up and see if you can be pretty good at, at witnessing. No, that would be like perjury, I think. If you're called to be a witness, all you're called to do is what? tell the truth to what you have seen, to what you know to be true, to tell the world, so to speak, what the truth is. And this is what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do for us when, when he came. He said, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, Jesus is saying, you'll be my witnesses where you live, in your province, in your country, all over the world. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of, out, of this, out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heavens? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Okay, so, so this has got to be one of the strangest scenes of all time. I'm, if you have been in church for five minutes, you've read it, and now we're reading it again, and you think, yes, Jesus went up. Okay, but I, I just want you to think about this for a, se- for a second. A few minutes ago, the disciples were a hot mess. They were the worst. They were running away. They were swearing. They were cutting off people's ears. Not exactly like super students. We're talking about like kind of the bottom of the barrel, They weren't even, like, they couldn't even remember. They couldn't even stand up for Jesus and say they knew him. Peter was like, Jesus, what are you talking about? I don't even know what you said. Jesus comes back and then goes up to heaven, essentially, saying, bye, you're on now. You're the church. This is perhaps the most underqualified people of all time. They didn't go to seminary. They didn't take Bible study courses. Not one of them had completed the alpha course. I mean, they were in trouble. This was like a nightmare. This is like if people came to Jesus and Dave and I said, you know what, now we're going to move. See you later. hope the Journey Church, go enjoy yourselves, everyone. And it reminds me, um, I think Jesus told us this, that God chose the underqualified to start the church. Like, this is our starting point, everybody. Underqualification. Are you (laughs) underqualified? You might be perfect for this job. Uh, Do you not have it all together? Great. That's exactly who we're looking for. This is important, though, that we see that Jesus did this. For all of you who are Some of you, when you go away from your family, like if you're married or you you have children or or even you have roommates and you're nice, you go away from them and you make um, 300 meals that you put in a deep freezer and you put, this is a meatball, this is for your meatball sub, and you put all the, do any of you like that? You organize everything, you're nice and, or if you go away, I've got this on my mind, you like organize your whole house so that you come back to like cleanliness, yes. Okay. Jesus was the opposite. He was just like, see ya, bye. You're gonna be good. You're gonna wait for the Holy Spirit, and everything's gonna be good. Um, What's interesting is that Jesus knew that the disciples had everything they needed because they had conviction about who he was. They understood who Jesus was. The message So they were underqualified in some ways, but in other ways they were not. The message had captured their hearts and their minds. And the question for us today is, has the message of Jesus captured our hearts and minds? If we're part of a movement, the message of Jesus, your your status as a person doesn't matter. Your past sin as a person doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is, is, has the message of Jesus captured your heart? Their conviction, the disciples' conviction by this point, was that Jesus had died as a substitute for sinners. He wasn't another prophet with another religious message. He was God himself on an operation, a rescue operation to save us. And they understood that he was crucified because we were rebellious. This is where Paul says, it's like actually my sin that pushes me forward because I remember what I was before Jesus came and found me. And this is, what, this is what makes movements move. When we remember, when we get up every day and remember what we could have been or what we were. What, what institutionalizes churches and fossilizes churches is when we forget who we once were. The apostles understood that if this were true, that this was the greatest act of grace ever imagined. God the creator, dying for his rebellious children. Let the profundity of that hit you for a moment. That you, in all your mixed up, messed up, sideways, upside down thinking, that Jesus decided you were worth it. You were enough. And they said this, you are a God that should be worshipped in the world and when they dragged the apostles in front of the sanhedrin and told them that if they didn't shut up about Jesus that they would kill them they've said they said basically well you got to do what you got to do but we have to remain faithful how is it how is it the 12 underqualified people turned the whole world upside down and how is it that those How how could it be? It can't can't even be, psychologically, it's impossible for 12, all the disciples, all of them, with the exception of John, who died as a prisoner, all of them were martyred. This isn't even psychologically, like, a possibility. If it wasn't true, if they didn't have that deep-seated conviction, at least a few of them would have gone, maybe, maybe not. (laughs) Maybe he was just, Jesus was a nice guy. But They had this deep-seated understanding that God was God. So the question is, to all of us, have we been captured? Have we been enraptured by the message of Jesus? Is the message of God taken a hold of our hearts so much that we would be willing to say, God, whatever it takes. The, the second thing we learned from the scriptures is that Jesus made it really clear that the Holy Spirit would be the engine of the church. It was clearly not gonna be the 12 people that were hanging out there. They were not, it wasn't like, I picked you because you were so amazing and ready to do it. No, they were wild. The disciples were wild and underqualified. Here's a clue. If you go back to the book, so uh, theologically, the book of Luke and Acts are actually one book, two volumes, um, both written by Luke, who was a physician, and he was writing these books to Theophilus, and Theophilus was like a person who was not really sure about Jesus. He was a skeptic, and here's uh, the words, in, Luke chapter, in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, he says, um, uh, I, have, I have dealt, O oh, Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. This idea of beginning is that Jesus' work was going to continue on earth. And we know by Jesus' words that this was the Holy Spirit through his people. It's not that in the gospel of Luke Jesus worked and now in Acts the church works. That's not that's theologically incorrect. But Jesus worked in his fleshly body in Luke and now continues in the spirit realm in the book of Acts. And Jesus is still working in our midst today. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus tells people, I, I know Pastor Herman talked to you about, about this a little bit, tells them to go and wait. Great. Waiting. People are dying. You know, some of you who are type A would have said, people are dying, this is the worst idea in the world. We're going to wait. But in doing so, Jesus was reminding the people, it's not about you in the, in the end anyways. This, this actually has nothing to do with you. I'm just going to work through you. And the only thing we're called to do is yield to Jesus. I want you, though, just to read Jesus' promise in verse 8 as a direct statement to you. But you, put your name in there, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses. Every time I read this story, I think about my family's story. So I'm not, I wasn't born into a, um, like an evangelical kind of family. We can just go to the next slide. I'm gonna show you a picture of my family. This is the best I could do, everyone. We're in, it's, you know, this is sort of a false picture. It makes you think that we were a really outdoorsy, camping kind of family. (laughs) I believe this is one time we rented a cottage. It's my mom and dad. My dad uh, grew up being, uh, not grew up, he was a banker for Citibank. My mom was a teacher. I have to tell you this because the story I'm about to tell you is weird. So just so you know, we were normal. We did normal things. Um, I'm sitting there, you can't see me because it was in an era of bangs. Bangs are always a bad idea and my hair was in my eyes. (laughs) Um, I had two brothers and a little sister. Anyways, um, my parents grew up kind of religious, like they would have known church as an institution. They um, they went to church often. My mom was raised in a very strict mainline kind of church. She went to church, but she would tell you she didn't know God. She went and didn't, you're just going, because that's what you did if you didn't want to get punished. And in the 70s or 60s, that was a strong, it was a strong punishment, let's just say. So she went. My dad also went uh, to church, but you know, they met in university, and I mean, church was just kind of something you did, because that's kind of what Canadians did at the time. Well, my mom um, really liked to read, and she would read anything that anybody would give her. I inherited this terrible, I'm saying terrible, sorry, Dave, this terrible thing from her in that I also, li- I would read shampoo bottles just for fun. I like to read. But my mom decided, well, you know what? I've seen the Bible a lot of times, and I've never, I've never read it before. So she said to my dad, uh, let's read the Bible together. I mean, it's this book. It's free in every hotel. There must be something to it. <laughs> so they start to read the Bible, so they read Matthew, and my dad just goes along with it, because he is married, and if you are married, you know, you just say, okay, sure, because you want to remain married. <laughs> and um, so they read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and my, I think my dad is thinking, at this point, it's a little repetitive. I mean, it's, there's a lot of the stories that are the same. Okay, they get to Acts, and they read Acts chapter 1 story we're just reading. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the innermost parts of the earth. Then they read Acts 2, where everybody spoke in tongues. Now, okay, so now let me just back the train up a little bit. My mom doesn't know churches like this one exist, okay? There's no such thing as charism. She doesn't know about charismatic people. She doesn't know about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. She has never heard about speaking in tongues before in her life, But she leans over to my dad for some reason and goes, I have this gift. I think I have this gift. This is a lot of spiritual bravado. And also, I know for all the theologians in the house, this is confusing because you think this could be heresy. And it might have been, but she didn't know it was heresy. So she said to my dad, I think I have this gift. And my dad, again, I mean, he's just going along with it, right? Okay, great. So she said, I think we should maybe pray right now that we could get this gift. I know I have it, but like I I think I should be able to get it too. So they pray. And I don't know what the prayer exactly was. I've asked her this many times. I think it was just like what they knew of prayer. God, if you're out there and this is really true and Jesus really died and the Holy Spirit is really real, I'd like this gift of tongues. I don't know why this was the thing she asked for, really. I mean, it's a little obscure, but this is my family's story. And nothing happened. Absolutely nothing happened. They went to bed that night. They got up the next morning. And then the next day, my dad is downstairs pretending to fix something. My mom is upstairs. They're not here, so I can say things like this. (laughs) Uh, My mom is upstairs. They were preparing for people to come over for dinner because in the 80s you didn't meet with people in restaurants. You cooked for them. I'm just saying that for all the young people here. Anyways, my mom is upstairs cooking and my parents at the same time, different places in the house, both are filled with the Holy Spirit and start speaking in other tongues. Okay, now I know for some of you this is very confusing and you're very nervous. How did I end up in this weird church today? Uh, But so they didn't, I mean, they weren't afraid. My mom was like, I knew I had that gift. (laughs) And uh, my dad was filled with like all kinds of joy. Now, they were having people over that night. Now, the Holy Spirit, listen, just so you know, didn't make them weird. They didn't, I mean, okay, but they they didn't, they had the people over for dinner that night. They said they were so excited, though, about what God had done. They were like, My mom says she brought up every course in like five minutes. Oh, that's enough. Okay, great. What a great night we've had. See you later. Bye. And the people left. And my parents stayed up all night worshiping God and praying in this gift that God had given them. I can remember this as a child. I was probably about five at the time. I remember something tangibly changing in our home. Now, I came from a home where like, we were pretty normal Canadians. It's not like we were living, I wasn't on the street, we, I wasn't joining a gang at age three. But I knew as a five-year-old that God had visited our home. Okay, so now the story gets wilder now again. Uh, um, my parents then decide God has visited us. There must be other people in the world who want to encounter God like this. So they but, they, but they didn't know that you could, my mom would drive by churches like this and actually say things like this. I wonder if you can go there, if you like have to have like a membership to go there. Like these are regular Canadian people. My question to all of us is where were we? Anyways, so they didn't know what to do. So they thought, well, we'll, we'll just do what everybody in the 80s does. We put an ad, they put an ad. They put an ad in the classified section of the paper. If you are interested in learning about Jesus and the Holy Spirit, come to our house. Because apparently now they have been apostolized. (laughs) And um, so, and this I remember so vividly. On Tuesday nights, they just put this ad in the paper in the Milton paper, we lived in Milton, Ontario. It was not a thriving metropolis. It was like a weird little town outside of Toronto. People would come by the droves though. My mom would spend the whole day making food and then people would come. People came in like, we lived in a suburb and people came in their trucks, like they're 18 wheelers. People came on motorbikes, like people who had been in like motorcycle gangs came. People brought their friends who, and and miracles happened. As a, listen, you can never convince me that God is not real. You would never have been able to convince me that God was not real because people who were deaf became hearing people, people who had problems got healed, people uh, like, I can remember people crying. There was a man that, because we didn't, my parents didn't know anything about like contemporary Christian music. They just had a man who was like a bar singer. He came and he just played all the songs that he used to play. Like, I think it was like Billy Joel songs and he just made Jesus words to them. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how (laughs) Christians became cheesy. Um, but, 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 But God moved. And my family tree was forever changed. Now, that didn't happen. Now, I always, I, I always tell this story um, with some trepidation because sometimes I'm some go, well, like God will just, we don't need to be witnesses then. God will just show up in people's lives. Yeah, he will because he's God. He doesn't actually need you. But he wants you to be part of his story. The Holy Spirit's always going to be the engine of the church, but we get to be part of this story. By the way, there's a scripture in the, in the New Testament that says tongues is a sign for unbelievers. And I've had hundreds of Christians ask me, what does that scripture actually mean, like tongue? Because like, I can remember going to church as like a teenager praying, oh, please don't let someone shout out in tongues because it's so embarrassing if you bring somebody. If you grew up in the 80s in charismatic churches, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Uh, But but my parents' story actually, tongues was a sign that God was real. Uh, As a Pentecostal church, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I I believe in the gifts of tongues. Uh, Paul said, I I I thank God more than all of y'all that I speak in tongues. And maybe for some of you that's wild, and you've come from a background different than that. And we just we welcome you here. We believe that the Holy Spirit is with you. I don't believe that your uh, salvation, nor your experience of the Holy Spirit is tied to one gift of the Spirit. But I do believe God does work in that way, that he gives people gifts, and that it forever can change the world. You know, the, the, the world was turned upside down, not because the disciples were amazing, It's not because they had taken some great evangelism course and now they're exegesis. They were doing very good exegetical, expositional preaching. No, the the world was turned upside down because a bunch of people said yes to the Holy Spirit and allowed the Holy Spirit to work through them. The question for all of us is, will we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us? I'm convinced more and more. Every every time I meet with people, I, I am convinced... A lot of what we do is like trying to man-made. We're trying to pressure our way through things. We're trying to fix our marriages with like our own might. We're trying to fix our lives. I'm not saying we shouldn't. We shouldn't use all the tools we have. God's given us tools to use. But how many of you know like what we really need is a move of the Holy Spirit in our lives. What we really need is the breath of God to breathe on us again. What we really need. Like, what your family really needs is a miracle from God that can only come when God breathes on us. The question is, how do we, how do we yield to the Holy Spirit? It's funny about my family's story. is that um, It wasn't like I can't stand up here and say, here's the three-step process for you. It was just like two people that said yes to Jesus that said, yes, God, we, we want you. If you have this for us, we, we want it. And I, I would suggest that how we move, how we yield to the Holy Spirit is twofold. We ask God, all throughout the book of Acts, and we're going to see this from Acts 1 all the way to the end of the book of Acts, uh, people would say, yes, we want this. We want the Holy Spirit. And God is a good God. We, we sang about that today, that he's a good God that has good plans for us. He comes to us. And then we move when he comes then we move this is the only formula in all of the new testament we ask he comes we move we ask he comes we move we ask he comes we move and two ways i want to identify how the spirit's uh, power comes on you Uh, we talked a little bit about this for a second Uh, spiritual gifts god has given every one of us a spiritual gift And some of those gifts are power gifts, and some of them are like hospitality or teaching or serving, and I don't have time to go into all of them today. But there are many ways that we experience the power of God coming through us. But they all have one point, propelling the move of Jesus forward. Listen, the Holy Spirit didn't come on my parents and give them the gift of tongues so that they could be, wow, wasn't that nice? Aren't we spiritual and weird? We're so weird. No, he gave them that gift to to remind them that he is God and they were not. And that brought many people to Jesus. Maybe God's going to give you a gift of healing and you're going to pray for people and they're going to be healed. Maybe God's going to give you a gift of faith. You're going to have faith to believe for impossible things. But all of that is to propel the mission of Jesus forward. And we should all be sitting on the edge of our seat saying, God, in what way are you going to use me today? In what way is your Holy Spirit going to propel me forward today? And the, second way, the second thing the Spirit of God did for these believers, beyond the spiritual gifts, is he empowered them to testify. The Holy Spirit does a lot of things in Luke and Acts, but the main thing he's, he does is he fills people's mouths to preach the gospel. In fact, anytime you see someone filled with the Spirit, they proclaim the words of God. Often, God moves on our hearts to move our mouths. Now, a lot of us say things like, "Well, that's just, that's your job, Jess. You talk a lot. It's your job." Uh, it, but it, but it actually is the job of every believer to testify of the goodness of God in their lives. You can see on the scripture behind me all kinds of times when the Holy Spirit comes on people. Luke 1.15, John the Baptist being filled with the Spirit proclaims the coming of the Lord. John 1.41, Elizabeth being filled with the Holy Spirit proclaimed blessing over Mary. John, uh, so I'm saying John and i meant to be seeing Luke. Luke one sixty seven, Zechariah being filled with the Spirit prophesied about the coming glory of Jesus. Uh, and it goes on and on throughout the book of Acts. Every time the Spirit came on somebody, they proclaimed with their mouth what God had done. And we have a lot of excuses about this, like, I don't have what it takes. By the way, there's this really wild study that came out that said the amount of training that a church does for people in evangelism has an inverse effect on how much they share the gospel. Isn't that weird? So, like, the more evangelism training courses you do in a church, the less you're going to share Jesus with people is because we out-educate ourselves out of the reality of what God's done in, their, in our lives often. Now, I'm not, I'm not anti-education. I am for education. Go to Bible studies. Learn all the things. But it is a funny study. Like, the disciples had taken no courses. Changed the world. This is why the excuse, I don't have what it takes. I don't know the gospel very well. I, I don't know, like, all the right things to say. That the hell's no water? We just actually must out of our experience, say, God did this for me. I was dead, but now I'm alive. And maybe, maybe what we need to be working on more is saying, God, remind me of my deadness, remind me of who you are, may may I experience you, so that the talking about it just becomes natural. I told Abel, I'm putting him in my sermon this week. um, Abel is like the spokesperson for Zevia soda. (laughs) He should be paid by them. All week long in the office, he's like, do you want to try a Zevia? <laughs> and I never want to try a Zevia. I never, I just, I don't like the word. Zevia, it's such a weird name for a pop. I'm more of a Coke person, so anyways. But this week I caved. I caved to the cream soda Zevia. Zero calories. It's like, regrets. Z- zero regrets. That's right. <laughs> 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 uh uh I don't like Abel doesn't know how to get paid to tell me to drink Zevia. If you've been around Abel for ten minutes, you know he's tried to get you to drink that terrible pop. <laughs> it's not terrible though. Now, now I can actually say it was well, good. Um, but, but this is this is actually how things like when we actually believe in something, we you didn't have to take a course like how to tell people to drink Zevia. There was no ten-step course on that. You just did it because you like it. You believe in it. You believe in Zevia, congratulations. (laughs) I wanna suggest that if we would say, God, would you encounter me? That actually the witnessing part would become quite easy. Because it would be out of our experience that we're saying yes to Jesus. Hey, you've got to hear about what Jesus did in my heart, in my life, in my family. He, he walked me through a deep, dark valley, and now I'm here today. Like, it becomes natural. I want to suggest that for all of us today that we need, fresh, we need a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. I know in my life, I've been praying all week, God, would you give me a fresh encounter with your Holy Spirit? Would you, would you actually remind me of who you are? This is how Jesus encounters his people all throughout the book of Acts, through the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. The great news about the Holy Spirit is that he is not something that we have to fear. He is not a, he is, he is a person of the Godhood. We, we really do have to have a renewed pneumatological understanding. Pneumatological means a Holy Spirit understanding, of the Trinity. Because most of us are pretty good with God the Father. I might have some hangups there, but we, we know in our mind, like epistemologically, that God the Father's good. And we know that Jesus is good because he died for us. Sometimes when we get talking about the Holy Spirit, it seems like a little woo-woo. A little weird. Like, I don't really. Huh. All I can tell you is that the move of the Holy Spirit until Jesus said this, it's better for you that I go because then the Holy Spirit is going to come and he will teach you. He will come and teach you everything you need to know. So today, here's how I want us to, um, here's how I want us to conclude. I want us to ask the Holy Spirit once again to fill us now, if you're here and you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit's already come to you. But there is this understanding in the book of Acts. Uh, did the disciples, were they Christians in Acts chapter 1? Yes. They had accepted Jesus. But this idea that the Holy Spirit comes and meets with us again and again and again is borne out in Scripture over and over again. And really, it's not that God, like, it's not like the Holy Spirit goes away from us. It's more like our understanding. What we're really praying for is, God, would you give me new understanding that your Holy Spirit is with me? Would you open up my eyes to see? It's never about God. Theologically, we believe that when we say yes to Jesus, God says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm always with you. And when God says that, he's not just, it's not like just God the Father, the Holy Spirit. You get, you get the whole meal deal. But sometimes what happens to us in the middle of our walking through life, is we forget. All the weight of the world gets on us, and we forget that we are walking with the Holy Spirit himself, that he is here to empower us. This morning, I'm praying that we would have an encounter once again with the Holy Spirit. Because it will only be the Holy Spirit that changes us, that transforms us. I just know from experience that when the Holy Spirit comes, he changes everything. Everything. I try to think about like what my life would be like had my parents not prayed that really rudimentary prayer. Hey God, would you come? I think I got this gift. I remember the goodness of God. That he is a good God that he hears your prayers. And maybe you're not maybe you're not saying, I think I got that gift. Maybe, but maybe you're here today and you, you want that gift. I believe that God gives that gift. That gift of I, I, I believe in that gift of tongues because it's my story. When we were little kids, my dad used to always just say to us, God will give you that gift if you ask Him for it. Because they didn't know any, like, ten, st- nobody had told them a ten step plan that you got to be, like, super spiritual. And we'd march around the house, and my dad would pray in tongues, and we'd pray in tongues behind him. It's weird. But it was good because I knew who God was. And my deep, my deepest prayer for you as your pastor. My deepest prayer for your families is that you would know God as that your children would grow up in your house and know the power of God. I am not content. I am not content to come and play church for the next 25 years. I have a deep longing for the Holy Spirit to encounter us, for us to encounter him. Can we stand this morning? For those of you that hate crying, I'm sorry. (laughs) Can we just raise our hands to heaven? Maybe you're here and you maybe are like my parents, you've never been in a church like this. Maybe this is your first time in a wild, we're not a wild Pentecostal church, but a, a church that is gonna say yes to the Holy Spirit. I'm praying that in this moment where we say yes to God, I know that God comes. So God, I pray that you give your people courage now to say yes to you, to encounter you in a new and fresh way for those of us that have never had an encounter with you, have only known you as Kirsch, the God who we come to and have religious services, I pray that there would be a Holy Spirit encounter today. I pray that we would encounter your power in your presence in a new way so that we could be witnesses for you, God. Not so that we could conjure something up or try to manipulate people, but God so that we could encounter you and be witnesses of your goodness in our lives. As the worship team comes and sings, would you just call out to God in your own words now? Call out to God and ask him to just move in your life. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.